Welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the wrestling highlights of the week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start off with Raw. Raw opens up with a Miz TV segment with his host, Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes gets the big heroes welcoming as in pyro-wise because he didn't get pyro last Monday. But this Monday, they made up for it, I mean extravagantly, because they gave my man pyro after pyro after pyro. He comes out from the bottom of the stage, pyro. He walks into the middle of the stage. He extends his arms out. I mean, just pyro like when Edge won the World Heavyweight Championship the first time. If you can go back on YouTube and just type it in, you'll see how much pyro they gave Edge. Just imagine, that's the almost exact same amount that they gave Cody for whenever he extended his arm out go to the ring, extend his arms out again, big pyro. Even Miz had to say, wow, they blew the whole pyro budget on you, huh? So Miz even got a little pot shot on that, and then he continues to go for the pot shots by telling Cody that, you know what, if it wasn't for your family name, you wouldn't be you. You'll be just another plumber instead of you being the grandson of a plumber. Cody will take the pot shot and stride and call Miz a full carny because he is doing what he does best. He's trying to get underneath somebody's skin, and he's what people in the business will be calling reliable because he hasn't moved around. He stayed in one place. Miz doesn't uh, like that, but Cody says that he understands what's going on, and he's told Miz, and he tells everybody now, the reason why I'm back is become the undisputed Universal Champion. I called my shot last week, and that's the reason why I'm back. Miz would tell Cody that, you know what? People are happy that you're back, but let me tell you who's not happy that you're back. Seth Rollins. I've heard from a little birdie that Seth wants a rematch and that you beat him only because you were a surprise opponent and Seth didn't know who you, well, who he's going to face at WrestleMania. Miz would then go to say, well, I will give you kudos for beating Seth, but tonight in your match against me, you're not going to win because I'm just a little bit better than Seth. And Miz would then go on to mention that he doesn't like the fact that people were talking about Cody at WrestleMania and not him. Miz then gets agitated that Cody tells him that he knows where Cody has been. Everybody knows where Cody has been for the past six years. But this is his show and nobody disrespects him. So you get to see Miz be all red in the face and just dump all over Cody. Cody takes it in stride again and he gets up, looks at Miz in the face and tells him, listen, I'll give Seth his rematch because that's what I'm here to do, and I'm cool with that. But you, tonight, I want to have a good match with you. May the best man win. He puts his mic in Miz's arms, and then he just starts yoking it up with the fans as the fans are cheering for him. Cody's music hits. Cody turns his back on the Miz. Miz tries to sucker punch him with the mic, but Cody's a veteran at this. He sees it coming, and he throws Miz right outside of the ring. And we get our match set up for the night. Miz going against Cody. Now onto the first match of the night. It is Dominic Mysterio going against Veer. Veer was supposed to go against Ray. They didn't say what happened to Ray Mysterio. So we just got Ray uh, being substituted for Dominic here. Ray was not around Monday Night Raw. And this was not the only match that we didn't get uh didn't get to happen that was promised last week. Well, advertised for this week. Veer would end up winning the match by submission when Veer locks in the clavicle lock on Dom and Dom taps out. After the match, Veer would lock in the move again, and referees and backstage agents would try to come out to the ring and try to get Veer to let go of the hold. Veer would let go of the hold, and then they would check on Dominic. 
Veer would almost walk out of the ring, but then he'll turn right back in and then lock in the hold right back in on Dominic. And this time he starts cranking on the neck until he was satisfied and he lets go of the hold and then he walks out of the ring and walks to the back. Uh, the backstage agents call for a stretcher and medics to come down to the ring to put Dom on the stretcher, put him in a neck brace, and then you see him get stretchered out of the arena. So we won't be seeing Dom, if anything, for probably two weeks. And next week, we'll probably get Ray going against uh, Veer. After this, they play a video of earlier in the day, AJ walking into the arena. He stopped by an interviewer and asked about what happened last week between Edge and Damian Priest. AJ says that he is afraid of what he's going to have to do to Edge and Damian Priest. AJ mentions that he knew he knows it wasn't smart fighting two men last week, but Edge talked about his family, and once you do that, they gotta throw hands. And then as soon as he says this, he sees Damian Priest walking somewhere, and then AJ just drops his bags and run behind Damian and starts punching him from the back. So now you start seeing these two fighting. They fight in the backstage. Backstage agents will have to break this up, and that's what leads into our next thing that happens on Monday night: the match between AJ Styles and Damian Priest. This match was. Uh, ended real mysteriously. And the reason why I say that is because AJ and Priest were having their match. AJ was getting the better of Priest a lot in the match. AJ was setting up for the phenomenal forearm. Priest would happen to run over to AJ before he could jump off the springboard and forearm him, knocking Styles to the outside floor. Once Priest does this, he goes right into the middle of the ring, takes a knee, raises his arms up in the air, and then you start seeing sections of the audience's uh, lights go out until they get a spotlight on Damian Priest and there's a purple filter on the light. And then you will see that the camera zooms in on Priest's eyes and his eyes will like change or bug out one or the two. And then it'll go to commercial. Then once we come back for commercial break, the match is done. I mean, there was no explanation of it. The commentators tried to make some sense out of it, but nobody could. So I think this was a uh, storyline uh, written situation, even though it was weird. Even we got an AJ Styles backstage promo. He even said, what was that? What What is this? What type of crap is this? So again, we're working with this whole mysterious thing. We're working with this uh, evil... Uh, evil, uh, I can't even put into words what this is, this was just weird, I wish they wouldn't have done it, but we'll just have to see what will happen next week, let's hope they get better at that, anyway, now it's time for the match of Cody going against The Miz, Seth Rollins will come out before the match, and he will sit at ringside to watch the match between Cody and Miz, Cody would win by pinfall when he hits the Cody cutter, and then he follows it up and hits the crossroads of the Miz. This was a good back and forth match between Cody and the Miz. This was Cody's first match on Raw in six years. So the Miz was the perfect opponent for Cody. And Miz did right by Cody. And Cody did right by Miz. They had a great, uh, they had a nice match for what it was between the two. After the match, as Cody was on the second ropes, embracing in the cheers, Seth would get in the ring and ultimately just challenge Cody to a match. Uh, a rematch, and Cody would accept. So I think we're going to get this match at WrestleMania Backlash. They haven't announced it yet, but that's where we're going with it. After this, we were supposed to get the women's tag team title matchup between Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley going against Naomi and Sasha Banks that was advertised for this week's Raw, but Rhea wasn't here tonight, so we only got Liv Morgan going against Naomi with Sasha Banks in Naomi's corner. Naomi would win the match by pinfall, when Liv and Naomi were trading pin attempts, and then Naomi would secure the win by reversing a roll-up pin for the win. 
So again, this is setting up for Liv and Rhea to go against Naomi and Sasha Banks next week. They did announce that for the Women's Championship. Hopefully Rhea isn't sick or hopefully she didn't come down with something. If she did, prayers up. But I don't know. They never gave uh, information on it. Hopefully we will uh, see what happens. After this, it was time for the VIP segment of MVP and Omos as his guest. But before they can even come out, you see Bobby Lashley come out in his ring gear. He gets in the ring and he starts talking about the betrayal of MVP doing to him last week. Lashley will call out MVP and MVP wouldn't come out. Lashley starts getting upset and he talks about he's going to destroy the set. But before he does that, you hear Omos music hit and you see Omos and MVP come out. MVP tells Lashley to stop embarrassing himself and stop being emotional. Lashley tells MVP to shut up and get him and Omos down to this ring so they can handle this. MVP tells Lashley that Omos isn't going down to that ring unless the money is right. And MVP will then explain why he tied Lashley. MVP tells Lashley that him and the fans should be thanking him for resurrecting Bobby's career. Because before he got back to WWE, Lashley was being led astray by a sawed-off runt, MVP's words, and a wannabe TikToker. Again, MVP's words. And who the MVP was talking about was the sawed-off runt was Leo Rush, and the wannabe TikToker is Lana because Lana does TikTok. Here's my thing with that. I understand those are pot shots, cool fire, whatever, but if people remember the Leo Rush uh, era with Bobby Lashley, not even an era, it was that little moment, not even a little moment, that that's change of time, if you will, for Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley. They were entertaining. Leo Rush was the annoying guy who would just, people want to punch in the face and try to get their hands on, while Lashley was the big brute and just did everything Leo told him to do. And those two worked after, well, after a couple months, after Bobby kept on stop showing off his butt, literally, in his entrance, he would just pose and then show off his glutes. It was really weird that era and time for Lashley's creative process. But after they got done with that and you got to see the pre like, like the prototype for the almighty with Leo Rush in that time, you got to see where they could have went with that. And they just decided to cut the water for that. But again, Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley wasn't a bad combination at all. It was pretty great. The only thing was they didn't allow Leo to wrestle wrestle. If they did, that would have took it to a whole nother level. But I digress. MVP would then say that he's the one that made Lashley who he is, who he's the one that made Lashley the almighty, uh, and that before MVP got with Bobby Lashley, he was just Bobby Lashley, but after that, once MVP got with him, he became the almighty. MVP mentions that Lashley didn't want to share the spotlight at Mania, so MVP is basically salty that he wasn't around Lashley whenever he went against Omos, so that's the reason why he turned on him. Lashley tells MVP that MVP basically came back to WWE for a farewell tour, and he does what he and he did what he does best, and that was to hang around the, his next meal ticket. And he saw the trajectory of Lashley because Lashley was destroying everybody on Raw, and Lashley even mentioned that he defeated Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. MVP would then go on to say that Lashley is the past and Omos in the future, and that he would be taking Lashley's place at the top of the mountain. And he would further tell Lashley that. You barely survived your first match with Omos. The next match, he promises Lashley that he won't be surviving the next. So we're going to get Omos going against Lashley. Probably WrestleMania Backlash with probably Omos winning with the help of MVP because MVP knows 
Bobby the best. They didn't announce it, but it doesn't take you that long to figure out that's what we're headed to. After this, we get Bianca Belair going against Queen Selena. Bianca will win the match by pinfall, which is a KOD on Selena for the win. After the match, Sonya Deville will come walking down to the ring holding a black folder. And in just, Sonya Deville is out here to basically tell Bianca that I have found your next opponent for your Raw Women's Championship. And first, before I announce who it is, you have to sign this black, you have to sign this open contract, and then I'll announce who your opponent is. Bianca ends up signing it. Sonya gives this big, grandiose entrance by saying this person has been waiting a year. This person said they'll be coming back a year later for a championship opportunity, yada, yada, yada. And we're all waiting. We're all thinking it's probably going to be Bailey because Bailey's been out for a long time. And Bailey was the last person Bianca was in a feud with. And Bailey did mention that she would be coming back for a championship when she did get injured. But instead, it was Sonya Deville. And Sonya Deville chop blocked Bianca from behind. And then hit her with the eye of the hurricane. And then Sonya would sign the contract. So we have Sonya going against Bianca next for the Raw Women's Championship. Probably again, WrestleMania Backlash. After this, we would get RK Bro going against Alpha Academy. RK Bro would win the match by pinfall when Chad Gable had Orton in a backslide pin. Orton would kick out. And then once Gable and Orton got both to their feet, Orton would hit an RKO out of nowhere for the win. After this, you would see RK Bro celebrating in the ring. And then you would see a video flash up on the Titantron, and it's a vehicle pull-up to the arena. Out of the vehicle is the Usos. The Usos were on a mission to come out here to be unified tag team champions. They come out to the ring, and they call out RK-Bro, say, let's do this. We're here to win the Raw Tag Team titles, to unify it. But before anything can happen, the Street Profits come out. They talk about how at Mania, it was supposed to be them versus RK-Bro, but Alpha Academy got in the way, and now the Usos are using bloodline privileges to cut the line. The Street Profits tell the Usos that once they beat RK-Bro, they will face the Usos, and then they will be unifying the tag team titles. Orton cuts all this out and says, listen, people don't want to hear you guys talk. They want to see a fight. So Orton then makes the match of the Street Profits going against the Usos, and that's what we have in the main event, literally. After this promo was done, we get Street Profits versus the Usos and RK Bro were at ringside for this matchup. The Usos would win the match by pinfall when they hit the 1D on Montez Ford for the win. After the match, RK Bro would get in the ring and have a stare down with the Usos, and each team will hold up their championship in the air. The Usos would leave out of the ring, and then Angelo Dawkins out of. I don't understand why they did this, but anyway, Angelo Dawkins would try to attack Riddle. From behind, but Riddle would try to hit the RKO, failed at it. So you then you see Riddle and Dawkins both fall out of the ring. Ford would roll into the ring, still being dazed, but he would roll into the ring and he would eat an RKO from Orton. The Usos would see this as an opportunity to get into the ring and hit a double super kick on Orton, laying him out. And then the Usos would pick up both the SmackDown and Raw tag team titles, hold them in the air, signifying this is what you could uh, possibly be seeing. In your future, the Usos being the unified tag team champions. Will it happen? I don't know, but that's how Raw ends. Raw was a alright show. I just think the highlights more or less were the ending of the Usos and RK Bro. And then like Cody. Anything Cody's doing right now is like a highlight for Raw because everybody's still surprised to see Cody on WWE. So again, those are like the big highlights of Monday Night Raw. Now it's time for NXT. Uh, before I get into the highlights of NXT, I do want to 
point this out that Nash Carter was terminated last week on WWE. Well, from WWE because reports are coming out because um his ex-wife, I'm not sure if his ex-wife did it or somebody else, but it doesn't matter. A photo of Nash Carter in his younger years, and you can tell this is younger years here, uh, leaked of Nash Carter with a square mustache and some type of comb-over hairdo doing the Hitler-like salute in the air. You tell that he did this in the bathroom, and it was more or less a goofy photo, but WWE got wind of it, saw it on social media. That's the reason why he got fired. Uh, not because of the beat-down allegations of his soon-to-be ex-wife, but reports are saying because of the Hitler uh, photo. That's what reports are saying. I'm not sure that's what they're saying, so I'm just going to let that continue to play out right there. Also, Nathan Frazier, a guy that Seth Rollins trained up uh, in the Indies, he is now coming from NXT UK over to NXT. I believe he should be coming over next week, or probably not next week, two weeks from now. So now you're starting to see NXT UK guys starting and women be integrated over in NXT, and I and I am thoroughly enjoying it. Now on to the matches for the night. First match of the night you had was the NXT North American Championship matchup between the champion Cameron Grimes and Solo Sokoa. Cameron will win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Trick Williams. As Solo Sokoa was on the top turnbuckle, Cameron Grimes will go up to meet Solo there and they'll fight right on the top turnbuckle. Solo would push Cameron Grimes off and in the process, Grimes would knock the referee down. We would then see Trick run down to the ring and grab Solo's leg. Solo would knock Trick Williams off the apron and then knocking Trick to the ground. Solo would then hit a big body splash on Trick on the outside of the ring. Solo would then roll into the ring, and Cameron Grimes would then hit the cave-in on Solo for the win. After the match, Cameron Grimes would get attacked from behind by Carmelo Hayes. As Carmelo was beating up on Cameron Grimes, you see Solo Sokoa get into the ring, attack Melo, and try to even the score out until Trick Williams chop blocks Solo Sokoa behind one of his legs. So now you get the Cameron Grimes and Solo Sokoa getting beat down up by Melo and Trick. And ultimately, Trick will hold up Cameron Grimes so Carmelo Hayes could hit the springboard clothesline on Cameron Grimes. Melo will hold up the North American Championship, indicating that he wants that championship back. So Melo is not going up to the main roster anytime soon. After this, we get Braun Breaker's in-ring promo. Braun comes out here, talks about what happened last week with his father being captured by Joe Gacy. Braun tells Gacy that he has his attention, and he does let everybody know that his father is home safe and sound. Braun will call out Gacy, but instead we see Gacy in front of a burning barrel on the Titantron. Well, a video of Joe Gacy in front of a burning barrel, if you will. Gacy talks about how he let Braun's father go, and he mentions how he now knows more about Braun and why he's strong, because his father took a beating as a man, so that's where Braun gets all of his strength from. Gacy says that by letting Braun's father go, he left something behind, and that would be his Hall of Fame ring. Gacy would show off the ring and then drop it into the barrel of fire. This would piss off Braun Breaker to the point that he leaves the ring, and now this tells you that that's basically what we're going to get next. Braun Breaker going against Joe Gacy, more or less for the NXT title. I mean, it's cool and all. Gacy is a safe opponent for Braun to go against because right now they ain't got nobody big enough for him. I see that they're probably going to build up Von Wagner. Speaking of Von, that was the next thing. We go backstage and we see Kushida with 
his partner Jiro getting ready for his match with Von Wagner next. But Von Wagner attacks both men backstage, and he will ultimately powerbomb Kushida behind two black crates, and we don't see what Kushida lands on. So we see that Von took out Kushida. We see Von and his manager, Robert Stone, in the middle of the ring. Stone talks about how Von Wagner has basically destroyed Jagged Time, and you won't be seeing these guys anytime soon. Jiro comes out. He's still hurt. He's walking out with a limp. He attacks Von Wagner, so we get a match between both Wagner and Jiro right now. Von Wagner would win the match by pinfall when he's a Death Valley driver for the win. Jiro did get a lot of offense in this matchup, but Von Wagner was going to be the winner. You knew this because he attacked Jiro from behind backstage, and also Jiro is shorter than Von Wagner, and he doesn't have that much muscle built, so you kind of already knew the outcome. After the match, Robert Stone would tell Von to finish Jiro off in the ring, but Von would just look into the crowd and see this blonde, mysterious woman that has been watching him for weeks, and you would see them to lock eyes, and she would point her finger at Jiro and just nods her head. Von would lift up Jiro in a gorilla press position and press him over his head outside of the ring into the crowd, and Jiro lands into the crowd. And that's where we end this off. After this, we get a backstage interview with Nikita Lyons, and she talks about beating Lash Legend last week. She says she doesn't have to prove anything to Lash. The only thing she has to prove is to the NXT WWE Universe. Nikita says that she wants to prove that she can hang with the women of this division. And before she can finish her statement, you see Lash kick Nikita in the face, knocking her to the ground. So this feud between Lash Legend and Nikita Lyons is nowhere over. After this, we get our second title match of the night, the NXT Women's Championship matchup between Dakota Kai and Mandy Rose, who had toxic attraction in her corner. Mandy would win the match by pinfall, thanks to interference by toxic attraction. As Mandy was in the corner and Dakota was setting her up to kick her in the face, you would see Gigi Dolan get on the ring apron and strike the referee as JC got on the other side of the ring and distracted Dakota. Dakota would run over and hit JC, knocking the tag title out of JC's hand. Dakota would lift up and pick up the tag team title, and at this timing, and when she does it, Mandy runs over, hits Dakota with her bicycle knee to the face, cover her, pinning her, winning in the process. After the match, you see Toxic Attraction all in the ring. They're holding up all the gold, and you see in the background, you see Wendy Chu on the ring apron with two super soakers. Chu would spray Toxic Attraction with the liquid and then just basically leaving them an embarrassment in the ring. So it tells me Wendy Chu is going after, I believe, the main title, the NXT Women's Championship. It wouldn't make no sense she would go after the tag team title, but we'll just have to see where they go with this. After this, we get Cora Jade coming down to the ring for her in-ring promo. This is the first time she's been back in NXT since Stand and Deliver. Cora mentions how WrestleMania weekend was the biggest week of her career. She mentions how her parents were there. She held her own in the Women's Championship matchup, but she didn't come out as a champion. Cora makes the statement that she wanted to become the NXT Women's Champion, but now she knows that she needs to become the Women's Champion because this is a lifelong dream of hers ever since she was eight, and that she is going to make this happen because she it wants to be held on that list of names of the women that she respects, the AJ Lees, the Sasha Banks, the Bayleys, and she goes on and on. And then out of nowhere, you hear Natalia music hit. Natalia walks to the ring. Cora Jade is starstruck. 
and she starts waving high to, like a fan towards Natalia, and then you hear the fans chanting Natalia's name, cheering her on. Natalia gets a little bit emotional in it. You can hear how she speaks when she talks to Cora. You can just hear how she's uh, trying to hold back tears. She tells Cora uh, that she has a lot of feelings being back in this building because this building holds so many memories for her, and she introduces herself to Cora Jade, because that's what every professional does. Cora mentions that she knows who Natalia is. She's been a fan of Natalia's. As a matter of fact, Natalia was her first action figure that she ever got, and Cora then tells a story about how Natty pointed to her in 2011 at a SmackDown Live event. Natalia tells Cora that she's glad that she made a difference in her life and motivated her to get where she is today. And Natalia says that she was backstage and she sees the women's division and she tells Cora to her face that she is the future of the NXT women's division. Natalia then pauses and says to Cora in her face that, but the future is bleak. Slaps Cora Jade, applies a sharpshooter on her. Cora Jade starts tapping like fastly tapping furiously referees come down to the ring tries to get Natalia off of Cora but don't really touch her they just like yell at her to get off of her Natalia let's go so this tells you that this is what we got next the idol versus uh the fan Cora J going against Natalia in this storyline and I like it personally because again we don't see a lot of main roster guys and gals coming down to NXT and having programs with the quote-unquote future of NXT. We didn't get that in 2016 to 2019, even though we didn't need it because we had a lot of phenomenal talent in NXT. But it's good to see where in this new era of NXT is basically going to take the fans that are watching the show and also take the wrestlers that are there and basically showing you, hey, that era was what it was. This era is what it is. Get along with it. Go along with the board. Again, I'm liking what I'm seeing here. Main roster talent being on NXT. I have no problem with it at all. After this, we get Draco Anthony going against Zion Quinn. Zion would win the match by pinfall when he uses Draco with three forearms to the face. Two of them running forearms and one of them a standing forearm to the face. This was a throwaway match. They just had to throw this in there to uh, separate and break up the uh, monotony because after this we had the NXT Tag Team Championship Gauntlet match which was the main event the teams that were in this match were the Creed Brothers uh, Legato Del Fantasma Briggs and Jensen Waller and Sunga and Pretty Deadly the Creed Brothers ran the gauntlet throughout the whole night they beat Legato Del Fantasma the first matchup they beat Briggs and Jensen the second matchup they beat Grayson Waller and Sunga and Grayson Waller did wrestle a little bit because he got his arm out of his sling. And Pretty Deadly was the last team that they had to go against. So the last official matchup was technically the Kree Brothers going against Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly would win the match when he hit Spilt Milk. Yes, that name of a finisher, Spilt Milk, which is basically the heart attack. But instead of a, a one person hitting the clothesline, they hit a neck breaker. And they did that on Brutus Creed. Pin them, win the match. So Pretty Deadly are your new NXT Tag Team Champions. Pretty Deadly mentioned earlier that they're going to do something that no other person has done in NXT. On their first night, they're going to win NXT gold. 
And I think they're right. I think I don't remember nobody coming to NXT and on their first night they win championship gold. So congratulations to Pretty Deadly for doing this. And Pretty Deadly, I went back and watched some of their stuff from NXT UK. They're entertaining. And I mean, you can automatically tell that they're a charismatic tag team. And I would love to see the New Day come down and just work a program with Pretty Deadly. The wits and the charisma between both teams, it would be perfect. Just for segments alone, that would be perfect. And also, they're a ring gear. Real different. Never seen people have ring gear like that before. So to separate yourself in the ring gear category and also the charismatic and everything else, Pretty Deadly's on the right path for what WWE wants it character-wise. So I can see Pretty Deadly working in NXT, and hopefully, if they ever do get called into WWE, the main roster, they will not get screwed over. Anyway, NXT, good show. I highly suggest you watching the NXT Tag Team Championship Gauntlet match. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Now, we're off to AEW Dynamite. During the broadcast, they did announce that at Battle of the Belts 2, which is tonight, it will be Thunder Rosa versus Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's Championship, Scorpio Sky versus Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship, and Jonathan Gresham going against Dalton Castle, and this will be for the Ring of Honor Championship. So they're showing you that they are encompassing Ring of Honor into AEW television until Ring of Honor properly gets themselves set up with television. Now, the first match of the night, which was CM Punk going against Penta Oscuro. I don't like the last name. I understand that they can't say Penta Dark because uh, Lucha Underground owns that, so they had to remix it with the Mexican word Oscuro. But I just wish they could have just went with something else, like still a couple of Pentagon, but still just do something else with it. But anyway, CM Punk went against Penta. This was number number five ranked CM Punk going against number four ranked Penta. So this is showing you where they're heading with the trajectory of CM Punk's story that he has to climb up the rankings of who is in the AEW World Title uh, rankings, the top five, and that's basically what this match was all about. Punk would win the match by pinfall when he catches Penta going off uh, the springboard and catches him, hits him with a GTS, wins. Good match between Punk and Penta. I just think that if they were to have a legitimate story like Penta become fully evil, like his menacing self that he had on Lucha Underground, and Punk being the guy that we all know he can be, I believe that they could easily have a better match than this. It was still good, but I mean, you know the, you know what both men can do. Even though Punk is not a spring chicken no more, he's not a young guy. Don't let that fool you. Punk has pulled out good matches, and this is still a good match, but you know what Punk is capable of, and you know what Penta is capable of. So when they actually get something to fight onto, I'm pretty sure when they go at this match again, you're going to get a uh, better match. After this, we will have the AEW World Tag Team Championship matchup between Red Dragon and Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus would win the match by pinfall when they hit Jurassic Express on Bobby Fish for the win. After the match, you had Kyle O'Reilly come in and attack the champions from behind with a steel chair. He would get Bobby out of the ring, and as they would walk up the ramp, you would see FTR come out. They are still the Ring of Honor and AAA Tag Team Champions. They would have a stare down with Red Dragon, and you know what their intention is. They're out here to claim or challenge for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. They don't say nothing to Jungle Boy or Luchasaurus because they didn't make it to them. They just got to Red Dragon in the face, so you can tell where their trajectory is going. They probably got to deal with Red Dragon, and then they're going to deal with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Um, the match was good. Both teams know what they're doing. Red Dragon's been at this for years. 
Lucha, Lucha Saurus and Jungle Boy, they know the style of AEW, how you should work it. Good match. I recommend you watching this one. At one point, there was a spot where Kyle O'Reilly had Luchasaurus in the guillotine choke while Bobby Fish had uh, Jungle Boy in a avalanche Falcon Arrow, and he hit the move over Kyle O'Reilly and Luchasaurus. It was just a cool-looking maneuver when you see it. But again, tag match, I will suggest you watch it. After this, we had MJF with Sean Spears in his corner going against Sean Dean. Remember, Sean Dean is the first man to technically get a win by disqualification in AEW and also the first man to beat MJF by disqualification. So they run this match back. MJF was dominating it. And we get a video pop up on the screen in this backstage uh, security laid out. And everybody knows Warlow somewhere around. And one of the big backstage guys that got beat up, he doesn't have his T-shirt on. So... Uh, Tony Schiavone or General Ross mentioned what happened to one of the guys' t-shirts. So that kind of gives you a wink-wink nudge was about to go down. As Sean Dean and MJF were uh, fighting on the outside of the ring, you see MJF throw Sean Dean into the barricade, and then MJF just leans on the barricade posing, and then you see one of the security guards walk up to the barricade, and he has a, a face mask and a black cap on. We all know what's going on. You see fans trying to alert MJF, saying that it's Warlow behind you. The security guard takes his mask off and the black hat is Warlow. MJF doesn't pay no attention until he turns around and he sees Warlow. He stares at him and then you see him quickly run into the ring and then run out of the ring and starts running up the ramp. Warlow would chase at the MJF until Sean Spears would hit Warlow in the back with a steel chair. That wouldn't phase Warlow. Warlow would grab Sean Spears, about to put him in the powerbomb position, but then you see security guards coming running down the backstage, try to get at Warlow, but Warlow will handle them, single-handedly destroy them, every single one of them, as soon as they run up to him, he just like punched them, elbowed them, forearmed them, I mean, Warlow just laid them out, then the guards would get smart, and all decide to pounce on Warlow all at one time, as MGF is still on the ramp, and as this is all going, the referee of the match is still counting at this moment, and right now he's at seven, and then he at eight, and then once he hits the nine count, you get MJF on the mic and he starts pleading with the ref. Listen, hey, don't count me out. Don't count me out. I will pay you three times the amount that Tony Khan is paying you. Just do not count me out. And now you see MJF pleading with him. He's on his knees and the camera's looking at the ref. Everybody's pleading with the ref to say, count him out. The ref has to stop. He hesitates, but then he counts to 10. So that's ring out. Warlow was all there, just standing there as the guards are just trying to get him to move, and he just smiles as MGF gets counted out, and then once he gets counted out, the guards take Warlow away, MGF is pissed, he walks down to the ring, he gets in the referee's face, he shoves the ref, the ref shoves him back, you get this whole thing, and Sean Spears tried to call MGF down, that wouldn't happen, so Sean Dean has another win over MGF, and this time by countout. After the match, as MJF is in the ring and he's disputing with the ref, we would go and see backstage footage of Warlow destroying security, and then he ultimately grabs the cameraman's camera and says, Max, I'm not going to stop until I get my hands on you, and you release me on my contract. So, you know what the direction of this is going. You know Warlow's going to get his hands on MJF, but MJF is going to make Warlow work for this because we would get a backstage interview later with MJF, and he says that, you know what? 
Wolo is under contract with me, and there's not going to be no more free rides for him. He's not just going to pop up into the arena and try to terrorize me. Oh, no. I'm going to make him work for his money. As a matter of fact, he the best way to slaughter a pig is by calling in a butcher. So he hands an envelope of money to Jose, which was the AF, uh, AFO's like business manager and you see the butcher come out and the butcher like does the whole taunt to the camera so butcher will be going against warlow next week on aew dynamite the funny thing about this is if people remember back in late 2019 or early 2020 like before pandemic like this is before revolution 2 uh the butcher and the blade were introduced to aew dynamite people by mjf they came in with mjf people remember that MJF like hired them as his hired gun. So it's nice to see a circle all the way back like three years later with MJF still calling on Butcher and the Blade like to handle some business. So that is still great to see that. But again, AEW storytelling at its finest whenever they want to do it. Not whenever they want to do it, but they do it almost about every week. So storytelling at its finest. I'll give them that. After this, we had a six-man tag match. It is Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, and Daniel Garcia of the Jericho Appreciation Society going against Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Jericho, Hager, and Garcia would win the match by pinfall when Kingston would run into the ropes. Jericho's on the outside of the ring. He hits Kingston with a bat. In the back, Kingston would drop to the bat. Daniel Garcia would go over pin Kingston. That's how that ends. After the match, Jericho and the, his whole group would jump Kingston and Santana and Ortiz. Even at one point, uh, one of the members of 2.0 held up, I believe, Ortiz, and Jericho hit him with the Judas effect. And you saw Jericho and his group stand over all three of the men. This match was good. You knew what it was going to be. It was going to be a brawl between all of these guys because these guys don't like each other. And more on a brawl on Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz size because, well... Kingston's a street fighter. He can wrestle when he wants to wrestle, but this, to him, is personal. Santana and Ortiz, they did what they had to do in this match, but the bad guys got the whip because they cheated. And I believe Santana and Ortiz should know how Jericho rolls more, so they should have some insight. So hopefully next week we'll get them outsmarting Jericho more as this story goes. After this, we get the TNT AEW Dynamite uh, debut of Marina Shafir going against Sky Blue. This was Marina's Dynamite debut. She's going to be going against Jay Cargo later in the future for the TBS Championship. They haven't said when, but that's going to happen. Marina would win the match by submission when she happens to lock in a triangle lock, well, a triangle choke on Sky Blue for the win. This was an old school like match to me. It felt real old school, like real like mat based. And I mean, like even Shayna Baszler on WWE, she has like an old school way, but she is able to mix in that old school with the new school with the strikes and everything else. Marina Shafir, she didn't do that in this match. It was like real old school to me. And that had me sitting back and just like, huh, this is where we're going with Marina Shafir. I haven't watched her on uh, Dark or Dark Elevation. That's where she's been like having her matches at. I probably will go back and watch them just to see if that's her wrestling style. But if it is, I want to know how the AEW like fans are going to connect and like click with it because they're not unless you're like a high pedigree person like they really know you and they can really rock with you like if you come from Japan and you have that old school like way of doing business then they'll respect it and they'll dig it but if you're from America and you try to do that I'm not sure how they how Dynamite or even TNT like the fans are even rocking with it 
because not a lot of fans like cheered or booed on this match. They were like really sitting on their hands in this matchup to me. Well, not to me, but when you see it, they were sitting on their hands. So it's going to be real interesting to see how Marina either turns it up and gets with her buddy Shayna Baszler on her off time to figure out how she can tweak her stuff to accommodate the common uh, casual fans now. It's going to be real interesting. Anyway, during this matchup, however, we would get a camera shot of the audience and Jay Cargo has her baddie section, where which was um f- uh, females that look good in a section just looking at Marina Shafir booing her and happened to be in this baddie section was Red Velvet and Kiara Hogan. Kiara Hogan is an independent professional wrestler. It has, been, it has not been announced that she's signed with AEW or anything, but um, they were making the connections on commentary that Kiara Hogan was in there and that Red Velvet. Red Velvet, she had a beef with uh, Jay Cargill in 2020 and still even in 2021. So it's going to be interesting to see, no, not 2020, I'm sorry, 2021, because that's when Shaq came around, 2021, like early before fans came back, still pandemic time. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how Jade and Red Velvet interact. I want them to interact because somebody got to tell me something because those two didn't like each other. Now Jade has Red Velvet in her baddie section. There needs to be a backstage segment with this. Uh, Hopefully we get that next week, but again, we'll see. But still, old school match, no problem with me. After this, we had Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks going against Swerve uh, Strickland and Keith Lee. Powerhouse and Starks would win the match when Keith Lee was running off the ropes and Taz would grab Keith Lee's leg. And this will allow Powerhouse Hobbs to hit the spine buster for the win. Good match with all four of these guys. This was Ricky Starks' hometown. They were in New Orleans. He's the hometown boy. People cheered for him. And it was great to see that. And you can see where AEW wants to give the spotlight over to Ricky Starks. AEW knows they have something with Ricky Starks. So it's good that we're pushing Ricky on Dynamite. We're good that we're pushing uh, Powerhouse on Dynamite. Because even at this point, you see, they want to do something with Powerhouse and Keith Lee. Because in the match where those two got nose to nose towards the end of it, the fans were eating it up. They were really coming alive for it because they want to see two big hosses just going at it with each other. Swerve, again, another nice person to be put into this mix because he knows how to work the ring. And also he has tag team uh, experience with Keith Lee because they used to team up from time to time on the indies before they both got signed to WWE. And they did never, ever uh, connect with each other in the E. But now they see them back in uh, a match with each other and they were able to work together. It was great to see. But again, great match, great tag team match. I suggest you really watch this, especially if you want to see two big hostages going at it. And now it's time for the main event for the Ring of Honor Television Championship matchup. It is Samoa Joe going against champion Minoru Suzuki. Samoa Joe would win the match by pinfall when he's Suzuki with the muscle buster. So Samoa Joe is your new Ring of Honor Television champion. Before the match began, you saw a camera shot of Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt in front row with a gift in their hands as they were watching the match as the rest of the fans. Uh, This match was nothing but a complete slap chest fest you saw Samoa Joe chopping Suzuki in the chest Minoru Suzuki just eat it up Minoru Suzuki slapping Joe in the chest Joe ate it up but you saw more of Joe's chest become more and more red and it's like some blood vessels popping I mean this was nothing but a complete chop fest between these two the fans of AEW were eating up again as I said if you come from Japan and you have old school style which their style is chops and uh 
really just hitting each other hard, the fans in America will eat it up. This is what I mean when I was talking about the Marina Shafir situation here. Um, Joe and Minoru Suzuki, their match literally consisted of 80% of chops completely. And then he got to certain moves, certain holds, and certain slams. But 80% of this match was straight up chops, and the fans loved it. And personally, I love seeing it too, because this is exactly what you want from Samoa Joe and Minoru Suzuki. Them just chopping the devil out of each other, and I was not even disappointed at all with that. And Samoa Joe still will get the win. Muscle Buster, Minoru Suzuki, for the win. So Samoa Joe's your new Ring of Honor television champion. After the match, some, uh, Sanji Dutt and Jay Lethal will get on the mic and tell Joe that, as promised, we have a gift for you. They open up the gift, and they both shoot Samoa Joe the bird. And Joe just stands there, like, tired and not even phased by this, and the lights go out. Then once the lights pop back on, you see a giant specimen of a guy just standing in the ring, like, behind Samoa Joe. Joe turns around, he eats a clothesline from this guy, and it's a former basketball player, like a former basketball player from India. Uh, they said his name on commentary, so I'm gonna try to say it right. Uh, Sanam Singh, I believe that's what his name was. I know he has Singh in the last name. I'm just probably butchering the crap out of his first name. But anyway, he's legit seven foot three. This man is huge. So he tries to do a little bit something to Samoa Joe. Joe rolls out of the ring. Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt join in on beating up on Joe. The uh, the giant throws Joe into the steel steps, throw him back into the ring. Uh, they all gang up on Joe, and ultimately, uh, the Giant will hold up Samoa Joe as Jay Lethal will hit the lethal injection on Samoa Joe, laying out Joe. This was a debut of this big guy, so now you tell the affiliation, the big man's gonna be with Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal. I'm telling you right now, just by the way the big man moves, he ain't gonna be there long. He's not going to be there long. This is gonna be a nice little payday for him. That's just my personal appearance because he's not like Omos. Omos worked in the ring and he can at least can do something in this ring. This guy is legit tall. No doubt about it. He moves like the Great Khali, legitimately. So if anything, they're going to have him like in a Great Khali kind of uh, format. And even if you remember, Great Khali was only like a special attraction. So if you're going to use this guy as a special attraction, I hope you know how to do it well. Look back at some old Great Khali uh, footage. And that's the only way I would suggest you do with this guy. That's it. AEW, don't try to make it any more none, any more than that. Just make this guy a legit specimen of a man that you just want to throw out there for a special attraction like the Great Khali. That is it. Please, for the love of God, don't try to make him do more. He's not going to. I'm just going to be blunt with you. He's not. So do not do nothing more than a special attraction with this guy. Seriously, if you guys haven't watched Dynamite, the ending, please just watch that. It's on YouTube. Trust me, you're going to see the guy, and you can see how he moves, and trust me, you know exactly what I'm talking about if you were around the Great Khali era in WWE. He reminds you of him. So, AEW, go back, watch YouTube, watch the network. I don't care how you do it. Go back and watch some Great Khali stuff, and just book him that exact same way. Not world champion Great Khali, but just Great Khali as a guy that comes in, chop people, slam somebody, call it a day. But Dynamite was good until that ending uh, that's the only like pitfall that I got for Dynamite this week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with an in-ring promo from W. Morrissey. They're still at the 2300 Arena, which is formerly the ECW Arena. Morrissey comes out here and he talks about how happy he is to be in this specific location because he talks about the last time he was here, he wasn't in control and he had to be taken out because he was halfway dead. Uh, he talked about how he, his he was basically on substance abuse. 
He says that now that he's back here, he's clean, he's sober, and in the best shape of his life, and that he can say for the first time that he can admit this, he's not alone because the fans are with him, and they've been with him, backing him, and he wants to thank them. He talks about how he was given a second chance by the people in the back, by the wrestling industry, by the fans, and now he's going to take full advantage of this. This is just a feel-good story from Morrissey, and as soon as you get that feel-goodness, you get Brian Myers to come out here. Brian Myers comes out, and he says, so you want me to feel sorry for you? Myers talks about how Morrissey was given a career that most people in the back would have dreamed to have, but he pissed it all away. Morrissey doesn't... Let me say this right now. Let me stop the commentary. Uh, Morrissey had a great career in WWE until something happened, and I don't know the particulars of it, but once they split him from Enzo, you saw where they wanted to go with Morrissey, but that just didn't do it. You just saw Enzo. You just saw the complete, like, they cut the water with Morrissey and Enzo too quick in WWE. They should have had them as tag champions. They didn't even get to that. Enzo won the Cruiserweight Champion, and he was championship, and he was actually able to make that division something where people wanted to watch it instead of always being on 205 Live. They were actually on Monday Night Raw. That's something that I can give Enzo for real. And Cass, he was stuck in some type of programs with the Big Show, and then he was off because he broke his leg, and then when he came back, he had to work with Daniel Bryan, which seemed like it was going to be a good spot, and then he was there for a little bit, and then next thing you know, gets released. So... I'm not sure what Brian Myers is talking about, Cass or Morrissey had a career that most of the guys in the back would have dreamed of, but I get it, Brian Myers is the bad guy, so he's supposed to say something like that, but that was a ridiculous line to speak of. Anyway, going back to it, Myers talks about how Morrissey had a career that everybody would have dreamed of, but pissed it away. Brian then proceeds to call Morrissey a menace to impact because he, he keeps on coming out here and destroying Brian Myers' table and trying to sabotage Brian's commentary career. Brian would get on the ring apron and let Morrissey know that if he keeps messing with him, he'll be left half dead on the floor in this arena again. Morrissey looks at Myers and then he just tries to run after Myers and lunges towards him. Myers would drop off the ring apron and say, another time, big man, and then tries to walk away. But Morrissey would sneak out of the ring, chase after Myers. Myers would try to jump the barricade, but Morrissey would get to him first, club him in the back, start attacking him around the ring apron, well, the ring area. And even hit him with a back suplex on the ring apron. Gets a table from underneath the ring. Sets it up. About to powerbomb him. But Chelsea Green comes running out and stopping Morrissey. Morrissey looks at Green. And then you see Matt Cardona just run out of nowhere from the side. Hitting Morrissey in the head with the Digital Media Championship. You see Myers and Cardona start putting Morrissey on the ring apron. And they powerbomb him through the table. So now you have... Cardona, Brian Myers, and Chelsea Green all together, and Brian Myers and Cardona unveil a shirt, and it says the major player, so that's their tag name, and that's the tag name that they've been using on the independents, so now you see where they're taking this. Brian Myers has his group around him now. Cardona and Chelsea Green are with Myers, so now they're going to be doing their stuff that they've been doing at GCW. Again, great stuff if you're able to see their stuff that they've been doing on GCW. Brian Myers and Matt Cardona are the most hated guys in GCW, and if they're able to just bring that over to Impact, I'm telling you, they're going to be 1A, one of the best tag teams on Impact, and if you want to have Matt Cardona in the main event heavyweight position, this is a perfect route to go with Matt Cardona, because again, 
Matt Cardona can make you hate him real easily by the way that he walks and talks and the way that he works in ring matches. So if they're going to do that and they're taking a little bit from GCW to do it, I'm all for it. After this, we will have the Champ Champ Challenge. It is Deanna Perrazzo putting up either the Ring of Honor World Championship, well, the Women's World Championship, or the AAA Reina de Reina's Championship. And as she's waiting for her opponent to come out, it will be Willow Nightingale. Willow Nightingale will come out. She will choose the Ring of Honor World title. So Deanna will be defending that against Willow in this matchup. Deanna would win the match by submission when Willow would hit Deanna with a clothesline, but Deanna would catch the clothesline and lock in the Venus de Milo, which is a double Fujiwara armbar on Willow Nightingale and lock it in. And Willow would have to nod her head to tell the referee that she gives up and Deanna would retain her championship. Good match between Willow and Deanna, but you already knew that Deanna was going to win this because we're building to Mercedes Martinez going against Deanna Perrazzo somewhere down the line for the undisputed Ring of Honor Women's Championship. After this, we would get Jonathan Gresham going against Rocky Romero in a non-title matchup. Jonathan Gresham would win the match by pinfall when Jonathan would hit a series of moves. And I mean, this was extremely quick the way he did it. He hit a springboard moonsault, then dropped a knee drop on Rocky Romero's left arm. Rocky would slide out of the ring. Gresham would hit a suicide dive, grab Rocky, throw him into the ring, jump on the ring apron, jump inside the ring, lock in Rocky Romero with a backslide pin for the win. These two had a great match between the two, but the the last final sequence of that legit minute or two minute sequence that I just listed out for you, if you see the way that Gresham did it so quick, you'll say, wow, this guy really moves quick. And I'm telling you, that was quick. So if you can find that anywhere, do it. Just watch the sequence alone. But good match. After the matchup, you will see Rocky Romero shake Jonathan Gresham's hands, but he was pointing at the Ring of Honor title. So we could probably see Jonathan Gresham going against Rocky later, probably for the Ring of Honor World Championship. It was never announced, but you can see the indication where they're leading with that. After this, we would get Steve Macklin going against Alex Shelley, who has Chris Saban in his corner. Alex Shelley would win the match by pinfall when Macklin would have his feet on the ropes as he's pinning uh, Shelley and Chris Saban would push them off. You see Macklin shout at Saban for interfering and then Shelley would take advantage of this. Grab Macklin, hit Shell Shocked, which is a swinging STO. Cover Steve Macklin for the win and Alex Shelley won the matchup. Thanks to a distraction by his buddy Chris Saban. Great match between Steve Macklin and Alex Shelley. It was not something that I expected from Macklin. I expected this from Shelley because Shelley can put on a good match for anybody. But Macklin, he was able to carry his own with this. And I'm not ever trying to doubt the man he was able to carry his own with Trey Miguel, but it still surprised me what Macklin can do when he wants to do something in the ring with a capable opponent. Macklin just usually, every time I see him, he's just destroying people. So him to have a nice uh, match with a skilled professional wrestler and a veteran in Alex Shelley was just shocking to me. That's all I'm getting at. Steve Macklin's not a bad wrestler. It was just shocking to me personally. That's it. After this, you would get Honor No More to come out, and they're having their whole ring in-ring promo. Eddie Edward gets on the mic and talks about the history of this building. He said this is the birthplace of ECW. Philadelphia is the birthplace of Ring of Honor. Eddie would mention how the fans of Philly are the most fickle fans in the world and talked about how they let Ring of Honor basically die. Mike Bennett would get on the mic and said this is the place and this is the building where Mike Bennett stepped into Ring of Honor. 
and the fans would turn on Ring of Honor and him, and they have no loyalty towards anybody. Matt Taven would say that Honor No More is here to stay in Impact Wrestling, and then you would get Bullet Club walking out. Jay White, the Good Brothers, and Chris Bay. Jay White would tell Honor No More that they're not the best in this business. The Bullet Club is the best, and that they're not going to run Impact Wrestling because Impact Wrestling belongs to the Bullet Club. You would get guys from both camps, from Honor No More and Bullet Club, just they start exchanging words to each other on the mic. Chris Bay simply asks Honor No More, says, we're in Philly, do you want to fight? And Honor No More will wave down Bullet Club, Bullet Club will step into the ring, and Bullet Club, knowing that they're outnumbered, is four guys against like seven people, they still took on the fight, and that's what happened. You get a brawl ensuing between both of these groups, and one by one, members of each group would fall out of the ring, leaving eventually PCO in the ring by himself. Now with everybody on the outside of the ring brawling with each other, PCO took this as an advantage to go to the top turnbuckle and jump off onto everybody and hit a senton. So he does this, everybody falls down, PCO would get to his feet, and PCO then decides to get back in the ring, and we hear Jonah's music hit. Jonah comes out, and now we're going to have a match between Jonah and PCO to end Impact Wrestling, and that's what happens. Jonah would win the match by pinfall when PCO had Jonah's, like, half of his body on the ring apron. And PCO would go to the top turnbuckle and try to hit a senton on Jonah's body, but he would miss. Jonah would pull his body into the ring, which would lead to PCO's spine hitting the ring apron. And that had a nice little thump when you heard it. So that, I know that hurts. Jonah would then go to the outside of the ring, grab PCO, throw him into the ring, go to the top turnbuckle, hit. PCO with a tsunami, which is a big body splash for the win. After the match, you saw Jonah stand over, well, not stand over PCO. He walks away, stands, has his arms in the air. He turns around and he sees PCO just sit up and start laughing. Jonah will run over, start punching PCO in the face repeatedly until PCO is dropped back down. Jonah would then go outside of the ring, grab a steel chair, and PCO would again sit up. But this time, Jonah would hit PCO in the back with the chair. Jonah would continue to hit PCO with the chair over and over and over and over again until PCO was laid out again. He would put the chair on PCO's stomach this time, go to the top turnbuckle, jump off, hit the tsunami on PCO, and now he just looks at PCO to see if he's going to sit up. You see PCO try to sit up, and he starts shaking a little bit, but he still can't sit up. So Jonah walks out of the ring, and he just constantly looks at PCO to try to see if he's going to get up, and that doesn't happen. And that's the end of Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling was a nice little watch. It's nothing bad here, and it's set up for future stuff. The big highlight for me is personally Matt Cardona and Brian Myers and like Chelsea Green are together. That's a good thing for me because I like seeing all these uh, guys together, especially because I watch their like vlog that they have on their major wrestling uh, figure uh, podcast, like YouTube channel. It's a nice little behind the scenes that these guys have and there you can tell that they're real true friends and all that type of stuff so just to see that and see them on camera with each other it's a nice uh feeling but again impact wrestling nice little watch now off to aew rampage i'm changing it up because rampage did start an hour before smackdown um Rampage will let everybody know that next week they will be going back to their original scheduling, meaning that they will be showing up after SmackDown. So basically at 10 o'clock next week, they'll be going right back to schedule. Rampage will open up with a six-man tag team matchup. The Gun Club going against the Blackpool Combat Club, which consists of Wheeler Yuta, 
Brian Danielson, and John Moxley. Blackpool Combat Club would win the match by pinfall when Billy Gunn was looking to hit the finisher on Wheeler Yuta, but Yuta would counter the move and hit the Okada roll-up on Billy for the win. So this is the first win in a six-man tag match for the Blackpool Combat Club, and this is the Gun Club's first loss as a team in the six-man uh, tag team matchup because Gun Club was going 24-0. They were 24-0, now they're 24-1 in six-man tag team competition. So Blackpool Combat Club at least has that under their belt as well. After this, we would get the Butcher going against a Baron Bryan. He's a scrub. Butcher would win the match by pinfall when he has a fallaway powerbomb for the win. This was a real quick 1-2-3 like style matchup. No more to be said on this. After this, we would get a Women's Owen Hart Foundation Tournament qualified matchup between Ruby Soho going against Robin Renegade. Ruby would win the match by pinfall when she pinned Robin after she hit a reverse STO for the win. During the match, you would see Robin switch with her sister Charlotte during the matchup, like in the middle, when Robin uh, poked Ruby in the eye, then rolled out of the ring, rolled under the ring, and then her sister would pop out from underneath the ring and go right into the ring and act like she's her sister Robin. And this will happen two more other times, so Charlotte would go back under the ring and Robin would take her place again. Robin would finish the match and still lose, so Ruby is qualified into the women's Owen Hart Foundation Tournament. After this, it was time for the main event for the AEW World Championship in a Texas death match. Hangman Page goes against Adam Cole. Hangman will win the match by beating the 10 count to retain the AEW World Championship. He would wrap his arm in barbed wire and clothesline Adam Cole and deliver a dead eye off the ring apron through a table now outside of the ring to end Cole. Cole did not make it to his feet at the 10 count while Hangman Page rolled into the ring and got to his feet when the referee got to the 10 count. Uh, in this matchup, you had steel chain, you had steel chairs, you had a table, you had, well, obviously barbed wire. You didn't have thumbtacks in here. I wish they would have brought thumbtacks up because ultimately that's Adam Cole's like trademark thing whenever he's not in a traditional matchup and that's outside of the WWE brand. Inside the WWE brand on NXT, I don't remember him ever being in a thumbtack situation, but outside of WWE, I remember him being in a thumbtack situation in Ring of Honor and Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Those were like his two major home staples. So I wish they would have had thumbtacks in this match between Hangman and uh, Adam Cole and Cole bled only a little bit while Hangman bleeded as well only a little bit. Uh, Cole from his forehead while Hangman did from his jaw. I was expecting a lot of blood because this is a Texas death match. But, I mean, they started off at 7.30, so I think it's not prime time yet. So I don't think you had some uh, television restrictions on what you could. You couldn't do requirements of blood. So I can see why they didn't go all out with the blood situation. But it was a good Texas death match between the two. You just know that you didn't get a lot of blood in it. So that's my like my only like critique of it. But other than that, good Texas Death Match. I will suggest you watch it. It's about a good 20, 25 minute, minutes of a matchup. You'll be thoroughly entertained throughout the whole match. Now on to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up. They will do a recap with the Usos going to Monday Night Raw and showing what happened there. After the recap was done, you hear RK Bros music and you see them come out and they walk to the ring. And they talk about why they're here. They're here to pay the Usos a visit because the Usos came to Raw. And now they're paying the return. And they're out here to 
basically tell the Usos their answer to their unification challenge that the Usos threw out to them on Raw, so they called the Usos out to give them the answer. The Usos will come out until RK Bro their they are behind enemy lines. This is SmackDown, bloodline territory, and they should know where they're at. Then you would get into a pissing contest between both teams with the Usos enlisting their whole accolade, saying they're the longest reign tag team champions, they're seven-time tag champions, and so forth. Then Randy Orton will say, man, please, I've been here for longer than 20 years. I've been setting records for more than two decades I mean, Randy will go off, and then, like I said, it would be a pissing contest between both teams, but in the end, RK-Bro would tell the Usos that they accept their tag team unification challenge, and that match will happen at WrestleMania Backlash. Uh, Both teams would raise up their respective tag team championships. The Usos would leave the ring. RK-Bro would get on their top uh, turnbuckles and pose off, and then the Usos would run back to the ring, grab Riddle, and throw him off the uh, turnbuckle onto the top rope and then leave as Randy was checking on Riddle to see if he was okay. And this sets up for the main event of the night, Riddle going against Jimmy Uso. After this, we have Naomi with Sasha Banks in her corner going against Rhea Ripley, who had Liv Morgan in her corner. Rhea would win the match by pinfall when Rhea would hit the riptide on Naomi for the win. Both of these ladies had a good match. I did not expect it to go as long as it did, but... I was thoroughly entertained throughout the whole matchup. After this, we would get Madcap Moss going against Humberto, who had Angel in his corner. Madcap would win the match by pinfall, where Madcap would hit the punch line, which is a neckbreaker, on Humberto for the win. We're setting up for uh, Madcap to try to get the fans to be on his side. You already got some of the fans on his side because he uh, beat up on Happy Corbin last week. And before this match began, we had a Happy Corbin uh, backstage interview. And the point being was that he's going to be happy whenever uh, Madcap falls on his face because he's no longer attached to Happy Corbin. And Corbin has now let go of dead weight. After this, we would get a Charlotte Flair in-ring interview with Drew Gulak. Drew Gulak is now auditioning to be an interviewer in WWE on SmackDown. So this is his first major, like, entering interview. Drew would ask Charlotte, what does she think about WWE management making up their mind and putting her in a match with Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania Backlash in an I Quit match for the SmackDown Championship? Charlotte mentioned how last week she tried to save Ronda the embarrassment because we all know how Ronda deals with losing. And then Charlotte, like, made the illustration of Ronda, like, putting her head down because rumors had it. That after she lost to Amanda Nunez and also, uh, what was her name? Holly, Holly Holm. Uh, she like took her ball and went home. She didn't do the press conferences. She didn't do media. And whenever she did do media, she would critique the media for how, uh, they were mean to her after she lost to, lost her matches. So Charlotte was making the implication to that. Drew would intercept and tell Charlotte that he watched a match at WrestleMania and that, Charlotte did tap out to Ronda, but the referee didn't see it. And if the referee did see it, Ronda would be standing here as champion. Charlotte would take offense to this and ask Drew a question. She would ask him, did he quit wrestling so he could be an interviewer? Then Charlotte would then turn her attention towards the people saying that everyone here has quit as something, whether it be going to the gym, their jobs, their relationship. Every single one of you guys have quit at something. And she says, but not her. The only thing Charlotte Flair does is win. And she holds up the SmackDown Women's Championship. 
She will look Drew in the face and tell him to leave out of her ring. Drew will start turning away and start slowly walking away, and Charlotte will take this as a perfect opportunity to chop block Drew behind one of his legs and then lock in the figure eight. Charlotte would apply the figure eight, hold on to it, let go of her stance, still have him in the figure four now, pull him up and tell Drew to yell out, I quit. She would slap him multiple times and then apply more pressure to the figure four. Drew would have to tap out and say that he quits. He quits, continue tapping, then Charlotte would apply more torque onto the figure four, then apply back the figure eight and hold on to it. And then you see referees come from the back, running to the ring and start yelling at Charlotte to let go of the maneuver. Charlotte would, and then that's the end of this. After this, we get Drew McIntyre going against Sami Zayn, a rematch from last week. And just like last week, the match ends the same exact way. McIntyre would win the match by countout when Sami Zayn runs out of the ring and into the crowd to avoid a Claymore kick, just like he did last week. After the match, Drew would get out of the ring and run into the crowd, and Sami would run away, and he would eventually get met by Adam Pearce in the back. Pierce would tell Sammy that he can't keep running away from Drew like he did last week and tonight. So next week, Sammy Zane will go against Drew McIntyre in a lumberjack match, meaning that there will be men around the ring, meaning that Sammy can't run out of the ring and run into the audience and run away from Drew like he's been doing for this week and last week. After this, we will have an Intercontinental Championship matchup. Ricochet will be defending his title going against Jinder Mahal with Shanky in his corner. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall when he hit the recoil on Gender and then go up to the top turnbuckle. Shanky sees this. He pulls Gender out of the ring. Ricochet would then jump off the turnbuckle and hit a crossbody on Gender and Shanky on the outside, taking both of them out. Ricochet would get Gender Mahal back up, throw him into the ring, get to the top turnbuckle and hit a shooting star press for the win. So Ricochet retains his Intercontinental Championship, and I want him to go against somebody that has something. I don't know who they want Ricochet to go against next. I see they're trying to build up Ricochet with credibility with this Intercontinental Championship around his waist, a guy that I'm glad they're doing something with Ricochet now, especially that they got him now with the Intercontinental title around his waist. I just want to see who is he going to be in an actual feud with, not just these many little situations like he did two weeks ago with the Latin lovers, the Los Lotharios, uh, Humberto and Angel, and this week with Gender, I want to see who he's actually going to get in a feud with that actually can uh, make the fans sink their teeth into and put Ricochet in actual jeopardy to potentially lose the Intercontinental title and make the fans care for Ricochet as much as they do and as much as I know that the fans will care for Ricochet because Ricochet is a guy that fans will attach to and latch on to once they are placed once they place Ricochet in the right like story for him to be in. Anyway, now for the main event, we had Riddle with Randy Orton in his corner going against Jimmy Uso, who had his brother Jay Uso in his corner. Riddle would win the match by pinfall when Jimmy was on the top turnbuckle, looking to hit the Uso splash on Riddle, but he will look to the outside and see Randy and Jay fighting on the outside, and Randy will hit Jay with a back suplex on the announce table. Jimmy would switch his attention back to Riddle and jump off the turnbuckle, but Riddle would roll out of the way. Jimmy would land on his feet, and Riddle would run towards Jimmy. Jimmy would throw Riddle in the air, and Riddle would happen to hit an RKO in the air on Jimmy Uso, then cover him for the win. 
So this gives RK Bro some momentum going into their matchup in three weeks against the Usos in the championship uh, tag team titles unification matchup. And that's how SmackDown ends. SmackDown, an enjoyable watch. And you'll get no complaints from me. I like Pat McAfee really pulling for Drew Gulak throughout the whole night, personally. I don't understand Drew and Gulak's and uh, Pat McAfee's, like, situation there. But just hearing how Pat just keeps on saying Drew Gulak. Anytime Drew Gulak is mentioned, he always gets, like, a childish, like, excitement to his uh, face and his voice when you hear him say, Oh, my God, Drew's going away? He he gets so excited about Drew, and I just want to know what the deal is. But... Hey, man, that's just one of those things. But again, SmackDown, good show, good watch. Nothing bad for me to say about anything about it. But before I do get you guys out of here, I do want to mention something. They're unifying the tag team titles. I got no problem with this one. I got no problem if they actually do keep the tag team titles unified because the way they've been doing tag teams in WWE, it seems to me that WWE or the top brass, whoever's in the position, don't really care about the tag team titles so much and... Personally, there's only so many tag teams that are really on the main roster. Because if you think about it, Raw only technically got uh, Alpha Academy, RK Bro, uh, Street Profits. Once in a while, they'll use the hurt business of Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Uh, who else? Those are like the four, but really like the three that they use. SmackDown, they got the Usos, the New Day, Viking Raiders. They'll put Jinder and Shanky in from time to time. Uh, Los Lotharios. They were doing something with them, but now it seems like they'll uh, turn off and on when they want to do something with Los Lotharios. So that tells you already that the tag team division for both like brands are real scarce in that situation. So if you just put both teams in a... Well, both brands in a division for the tag team titles and you just have one set of tag team titles, I have no problem with that at all. It's not like the World Championship where you got a plethora of guys who you could easily prop up to be the next top guys for either brand, and you cut that list by half if you just make one major title for them, for the World Championship. That's the difference with that. Tag titles, scarce of tag teams. They don't do much, and you get a good tag team matchup here and there. So... Now, with you unifying the titles, I got no problem with that at all. So, I hope they unify them and put them as just one solitary belt for the tag team division. That's all I'm asking for, personally. I wasn't upset when I heard that. It made me think about it, and I came to this conclusion. Like, you know what? I wouldn't be upset about it at all if they do this. So, with that all being said, WWE, you have a good opportunity to do this because you guys don't do tag team, like, tag team matches that well you guys push uh certain tag teams at a time so you guys have a good opportunity to do this unify it and make this tag team division whole if you will but that's only if you guys play your cards right and you know what you're doing but i have a feeling somebody in the back will at least do good for a good couple months until somebody else tries to put their hands in the pot and hopefully once they see how good uh this unification thing has been going Nobody would want to put their hands in it, or if so, somebody would be able to slap their hand out and say, nah, don't put your hand in this. I'm good. We got this. I got this under control. But anyway, that's just my thoughts on that whole situation. 
Now, I'm going to get you guys out of here. My social media links, you can reach me at on Twitter, at My2Podcast. Instagram, My2CentsPodcastG2. My email is My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. Again, this email is for you to reach me if you think I got something wrong, if you think that I need to elaborate on something much more, or if you just want to talk to me about anything. It could be personal life. It could be something about professional wrestling. It could just be anything. My email is here. I always check it every day so don't think that i'm not checking it i am checking it and if you ever want to email me or talk to me about anything that's the email you can reach me at uh, i want to thank apple podcast google podcast Podbeam, audible and amazon music for allowing me to do what i do and say what i say i really do appreciate it apple stop hiding my uh stop hiding my downloads from me who is downloading my uh this podcast in different states months ago i was able to see it now i can't i know you're hiding it because i have a uh, system that i'm able to see what's going on and you're hiding my numbers from me from who from states are downloading it i need you to quit uh doing that that would be greatly appreciated thank you now i want everybody to please have a great saturday please enjoy yourself tomorrow is easter i hope you guys are able to enjoy yourselves Please be careful on these roads. People are dangerous out here. And I want everybody to please enjoy themselves. Have a good Saturday. And then have a good Easter tomorrow. I hope you guys do tune in tomorrow to my Sunday podcast where I talk about everything in the news. And tomorrow's episode is called Grievances. I hope you guys check it out. But if not, uh, we back next Saturday for Wrestling Highlights of the Week. With that all being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by My Two Cents Podcast. Hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. Please have a great Saturday. This is a goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.